The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Christmas is the greatest story ever told. And yet even now, as we approach this season, we feel the anxiety begin to rise. Shopping lists, calendars, parties, all manner of plans and travel and obligation. But what if this year we engaged with Advent in a new and meaningful way? At Ecclesia, we participate in Advent Conspiracy, a movement we join alongside countless other communities that offers up a different path for engaging in this season. Trading the stress of endless shopping lists and frantic planning for presence and generosity. We hope to live by these four tenets in the Christmas season, that we would worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. To worship fully by being present and experiencing the awe and wonder of the newborn King. To spend less by reimagining how we spend our money during the Advent season and to give relational gifts of real meaning. To give more by giving gifts which require our time, our energy, and our whole selves. To love all by joining together to give the gift of clean water to those without access. Around the world, over 600 million people lack access to an improved source of drinking water. Everything begins with water. It's the foundation for all other levels of development. For the millions of thirsty people throughout the developing world, safe water can transform health, sanitation, and hygiene, education, livelihoods, and local churches. When we provide water, we give a glass of water in Jesus' name to millions who are thirsty. For years, we've partnered in this work with Living Water International. Living Water mobilizes churches and communities to cultivate sustainable water programs and an ongoing witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Living Water has completed over 20,000 water projects all over the world. In this season of Advent, we invite you to engage in this life-giving work by helping us raise funds to build wells through living water. We invite you to join us in considering once again what it means to be a people that will remember and honor the incarnation of our God by choosing to worship fully, to spend less, and in doing so, to give more to the ultimate end that we would align with the heart of God and love all. We believe that as we engage in Advent Conspiracy together, we join in the greatest story ever told. Well, good morning, Ecclesia on the West Side. I'm Pastor Chris. There are so many of you here that I know well. Just in looking out, I'm reminded how much I like all of you, and not all pastors get to say that, and uh, it's a gift, and how much I enjoy um, the gift of what I get to do. I think I enjoy many, many parts of it, but particularly on a week like this, 
when my job is really to invite you into a beautiful Advent season. Um, I believe with all my heart that God designed the calendar that we follow and the rhythms of our life in a way that allow us to have particular seasons that are really rich so that we can store up. We're not quite like bears that hibernate for the winter. Hopefully, although in the holiday season, for some of us, instinctually, we just gain some extra um, storage capacity to get through. And maybe that's why in January and February, we uh, sometimes feel like we're in a desert. Uh, I think spiritually, we're that way. We, we have some seasons that we need to just soak in God's grace and goodness because there are going to be some hard times that come. And those uh, gifts can really sustain us. And so my invitation to you, if I do my job well, if we make our connection today, to give you some really simple truths that would guide you in this Advent season and would really truly uh, build you up as we walk this path together. Our journey, as you heard in the video, um, over the last 10 years has been one to celebrate the season in a unique way. And we started with just a few friends uh, they were all fellow pastors, and we began this uh, movement now, we didn't think it would be a movement then, called Advent Conspiracy, and it was born truly out of frustration. And I would tell you, most good things are probably not born out of frustration. Um, but for us, it was a group of pastors, and if I'm being really honest with you, we were just frustrated. We were really, we were at the point, we were at a breaking point that we just said, we're leaning into this Christmas season, preaching sermons that no one's listening to. I don't know if you remember what it feels like to be ignored. Anybody have a kid that just has a special gift of ignoring you? Right? And I'm telling you, there's really nothing that feels worse than being ignored. Imagine spending your week preparing a message and getting up to preach it to a bunch of people that were just... In fact, not only were they ignoring you, they were doing the exact opposite of what you were inviting them into. My job was to tell the story of a king who had come, the one who had made all things, was actually being born of the world and the flesh so that he could declare to us that there was a totally different way to live. There was a new economy. There was a new worldview. There was a new kingdom. And that kingdom didn't value power and money and influence the way that our kingdoms do. And my job was to tell that story. And while I was telling that story, I could literally see people making shopping lists to spend money they didn't have on things they didn't need and believing they were doing something really good for their kids. And at the end of the day, as we started to interview our kids about the way we celebrated this unique holy season of Christmas, the celebration of Christ's birth, what we really found is that we were indoctrinating our kids into consumerism, not into Christianity. And at the end of it, we just said, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a better way. And I'm grateful that I get to share with you that we, at Ecclesia, we found some really beautiful gifts and how we get to do that. And that our fear that our kids would get to the end of it and not be fans of it, that our kids have actually led us and guide us. That it's our kids that say to us, like, if it's Jesus' birthday, like, it just seems logical that we should give gifts to Jesus since it's his birthday, right? They realized like if they had a birthday party and everybody came to the birthday party but didn't give them any gifts, right, that they'd feel a little bit robbed along the way. They thought if Jesus is so important that we'd celebrate his birthday, wouldn't we want to give him gifts? And you don't have to be a world-class theologian to know that Jesus says, if you want to give a gift to me, then you give it to the least of these. And you give it to those who don't have. You visit those in prison. You bring clean water to people that need it bring food to the hungry, 
clothes to the naked. And so together we said that seems like a good way to celebrate Christ's birth. And so today, my job is to offer you some simple truths that I really believe that if we'll tune into these together, the next few weeks will be radically beautiful and transformative for us. I'm hating in this sermon that I'm giving away one of my big secrets, but I'm gonna give it away anyway. If you've been around Ecclesia and you've wondered from time to time, like, how do they hire these great people? There are a number of things. God sends us the right people. We have remarkable people that work with us at both campuses. Um, but historically, one of the things that I'll do when I'm interviewing someone, um, and now if you get interviewed, you're gonna know and you're gonna be able to trick me, but um, the, historically what I will do is I will hold that interview in uh, a very public space, usually in our, in our uh, restaurant, Paper Co. downtown. And if you ever come to Paper Co. downtown, you'll notice there's almost always kids around and there are almost always homeless brothers and sisters around. And what I'll often do is watch um, not as much how people answer the questions I have to ask them, but how do they respond to kids and how do they treat our homeless brothers and sisters? That those are usually the things that tell me more about their character. And what I love about this church, and I believe it's a beautiful gift, is that we have a lot of people that work here and members of this church that love kids really well. I saw it happen just out here as we were coming in, that people that were there to greet kids and they got down right, just right to the kids' eye level. And what are you saying when you do that? You're going, you're really important. Like, people in the world may think your dad or your mom's really important, but I think you're really important. And my hope and prayer is that when kids come here, that's what they feel. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a religious environment that didn't necessarily declare that. I often heard people say uh, things like, children are to be and not, right. Anybody remember what that felt like to hear that as a kid? It just... Um, it said, very, you're, you're not valued, you're not important. And I gotta tell you, if you read the Bible, which I highly recommend, it, it tells a really different story. It tells us that kids are the most valuable gift that God gives. Jesus goes so far in Matthew 18 as to say this, Jesus, the disciples have come to Jesus and they're asking questions about the thing Jesus constantly talks about. It says around that same time, the disciples came to Jesus with questions about it's the kingdom of heaven. And the one disciple said, in the kingdom of heaven, who's the greatest? This is the natural question to ask. This is what we're always asking, right? In our kingdom, in our government, in our politics, who's the most important? Who's got the most power? Same question there today. Who's the king? Who's the chief? Who's the general? Who's the one in control, right? We want to know who's going to have the most power in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus answers in a way that no one would have ever anticipated. You've read it before, so it may not shock you in the same way. But they're asking Jesus about the most powerful person, and he says this. Jesus said he called over a little child, and he put his hand on top of her head, and he said, she is. She's the greatest in my kingdom. Minds were blown. This kid, this little girl, she's the most important in your kingdom? And then he goes on and he explains. He says, you know what? In fact, if you do something that harms one of these kids, like this would be a bad thing. This is the most violent language you ever hear Jesus use in the scriptures. He says, you would be better off, he says at the end of this uh, this passage, right? He says, if you harm one of these kids, it would be better for you to be dragged down with a millstone and drowned in the bottom of the sea. 
Now, anybody else ever had a drowning dream before? Am I the only one, seriously, that's had a drowning dream before? It's literally, you wake up, you have, it's scary, isn't it? It's totally scary. You wake up and think, I don't wanna go back to sleep. Like, that is an awful way to die. And Jesus says, if you're hurtful to a kid, you'd, it would be better for that to happen to you than what will happen. He goes on and explains. He says, if you start to mislead a kid, if you're gonna lead a kid down the wrong path, it'd be better that you cut off your foot. He says, if you're grasping after the wrong things, if you're teaching a kid that grasping the things of this earth, anybody think we've ever taught our kids that by mistake, that we're grasping after the things of this earth rather than the things of heaven? He says, if you're to do that, you'd be better to cut off your hand. He says, if you're seeing and absorbing these things that you shouldn't, you'd be better to pluck out your eye. He goes so far as to say, it's better for you to see the kingdom of life with one eye than to see the fires of hell with perfect sight. Jesus had a way of putting things, didn't he? And he goes further and he says this. He says, make sure that you do not look down on the little ones, on those who are further behind you on the path of righteousness. For I tell you, they are watched over by the most beloved messengers, or you could translate angels, who are always in the company of my Father in heaven. I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, if you read the Bible, it becomes really clear that God loves kids. I love being around this church. Um, on the west side particularly, we just got, we got so many kids. Uh, even now we have kids in the room who are in the womb, right? And, um, and just so many uh, that are on the way. And what we want to do and what I wanna invite you into is I believe the kind of holy season that will lead our kids to actually hold on to a faith that's beautiful and meaningful. So today, I want to follow in that example. I, I, my plan was, as we leaned into Advent, to leave behind this series that we've been looking at important figures in the life of the church and what they taught us. Um, but I got to tell you, I've been so caught in a rhythm and I've so enjoyed teaching this series that I can't quite let go of it. And so today, we're going to pick one more unique figure in the history of the church and look at some wisdom from this particular figure. Um, he is uh, an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church. Um, and saw his life in ministry as a life in ministry to serve and to love kids. And I believe he offers some lessons that are really important. His name is Mr. Fred McFeely Rogers. And Fred Rogers uh, lived a life uh, of Christian service. He really believed that his church was a church to minister to kids through television. And he offers some really remarkable remarkable truths that I want to share with you. Today, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six that I want to share with you, and then I'm going to give you a few ways that we can respond uh, together. One of the things that Fred was known for, and we'll see this in the very uh, first point that I want to invite you into, is that he would show up in the right time and place. So um, I believe in some ways that he's shown up again in our culture at a time and place that we desperately need him. So if you watch the Netflix uh, documentary, or it was on Netflix when I watched it, that came out a few, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, it's a gift. The, the, the movie that's in the theater now is just beautiful. Uh, although I took my 18-year-old daughter and, uh, and I loved it. I shed tears during the film. I turned to her at the end of it and said, what do you think? And she said, I'm glad I spent time with you. <laughs> and Trinity is one that she would just go do anything with me. Uh, but she was not particularly fond of the film. And, uh, and so I've had some questions today wondering, like, will the sermon about Mr. Rogers be the same? Where 
Uh, if you grew up or your kids grew up with Mr. Rogers, you love it. And maybe if you didn't, you don't. So uh, if you don't, um, don't tell me. I'm too easily discouraged right now. So just keep it to yourself. But hopefully the sermon will connect um, for both. I absolutely loved it. One of my favorite stories I read about Fred Rogers in, uh, leading up to the sermon um, was about his uh, gift of showing up at the right time. Um, one of the, the routines of Fred's life that would be probably really helpful for us, every day was prayer and exercise. He spent time in prayer, and then he swam every day. He said when he was angry, he swam faster. Um, I, I've noticed that. I'm, uh, I don't go really fast on the treadmill, but if I'm a little upset, I go a little bit faster because I got a few things to work out. Um, but in his time of prayer, from time to time, Fred would be prompted to reach out to someone. Um, on this particular day in this story, he was prompted to reach out to uh, an employee. Um, he had a short-term employee for a number of seasons that was one of the puppeteers. Her husband had been battling cancer, and she believed that her husband had been healed and cured of his cancer. Uh, she woke up unexpectedly one morning um, to find that her husband uh, was no longer with her. And um, as she tells the story, she said she awoken, uh, was awakened in fear and in sadness. And that within a minute or two of being awake, she heard a knock at the door, and the knock at the door was Fred Rogers. Uh, Fred had never been to her home, but while Fred was praying, he felt prompted to go and visit, and he didn't know why. She said uh, when he, she opened the door, he was licking his lips, which is something he would do when he was very uncomfortable. Um, you may feel that as well. God may prompt you to do something, and it may feel uncomfortable. But Fred was the one there um, calling the funeral home and making arrangements and serving this dear sister in that day. Um, Fred was an example of presence. One of the first things I want to tell you, invite you into in life, Fred Rogers, is the gift of presence and of pace. When you watch his show, you realize that Fred lived and operated at a different pace, right? He would, uh, even as he sang that song that he started, there are times you would watch it and he would slow to such a degree, right, that you'd wonder, is he going to keep going, right? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? And you're thinking like, this is television? Television's usually rapid fire, right? And Fred would pause. Ecclesia, I got to tell you, it started a few weeks ago. Our lives often run way too fast. But in this particular season, you could feel things a few weeks ago just start to speed up, right? This internal metronome is just, and if you get anywhere near the Galleria, it just speeds up even faster, right? It just you feel it inside of you. And I gotta tell you, you will miss so much. Advent calls us, if we're gonna celebrate well, to a slower, more deliberate pace. Just to slow that metronome, to see the people in front of us. And I believe, Ecclesia, if we do that, God will also prompt us in our time of prayer to send a message to a person at just the right time. You don't even know, you don't know why. 
Has that happened to any of you recently? Has God prompted you to do something kind and you didn't know why and you found out later? That only happens if we slow down and we listen. There are a number of things I want to share today that I can try to share, but Fred may say it better. I I hope you hear this. In in Fred's message, in the message of Scripture, there's a reason that the psalmist says to us clearly in Psalm 46, to be still, be calm, and see and understand that I am the true God. I'm honored among all the nations. I'm honored on all the earth, right? There's a reason the psalmist said this. The, The psalmist knew what you and I know that if we are calm, if we are still, we can see God's presence. If we are moving, the the psalmist did not say, go to as many parties, go to as many stores, do as much as possible, and then you will see God, right? Because the psalmist knew if you're moving too fast, you'll miss what's obvious. Or Fred, who, um, remember on his show, if you remember what his set looked like in the all those many years, he had this little stoplight, right? And for most seasons, the stoplight was stuck on yellow. What, what was Fred saying to us? Slow down. Right? Will you please slow down and listen? Or in his words, he says it this way. Who's made a difference in your life? Oh, a lot of people. but. A lot of people who have allowed me to have some silence. And I don't think we give that gift very much anymore. I'm very concerned that our society is much more interested in information than wonder, in noise rather than silence. How do we do that? I mean, in our business, yours and mine, how do we encourage reflection? I trust that this book will do some of that, but oh my, this is a noisy world. Ecclesia, this is a noisy world and this is an especially noisy season. My hope and prayer for you is that you will seek after a slower pace and some moments of silence And I believe that if you and I do that, God will speak to us in some really meaningful ways. Second thing I wanted to share with you that I learned from Fred Rogers that I think is important for all of us in Advent is that as we look at people, we can see that God has has imbued each and every person with immense value, that there is a God-given worth of every person. Fred says it this way, he says, I believe that appreciation is a holy thing. That when we look for what's best in a person that we happen to be with at the moment, and that's a great way to say it, it may not be the person you would choose to be with, but maybe because you work with them or maybe because you were born in the family with them, or for whatever reason, they're the person you're with. He says, when we look for what's best in the person that we happen to be with at the moment, we're doing what God does all the time. So in loving and appreciating our neighbor, we're participating in something sacred. I believe that to be entirely true. Our job is to find the people in front of us and to see that they're made in the image of God. Whatever it is that God has imbued in them, that we get to call it out. 
I remember very vividly being about seven or eight years old watching Fred Rogers' program um, when um, he offered a message that was really life-changing for me. I remember it shifting some things in me when he uh, introduced uh, one of his young neighbors, Jeff Erlinger. This is my friend Jeff Erlinger. He's one of my neighbors here, and I asked him if he would come by today. I'd like to sing that to you and with you. Okay, okay? sure. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you I like. The way you are right now. The way down deep inside you, not the things that hide you, not your fancy chair, that's just beside you. I just read something I think came from you. It's, it's you I like, every part of you, your skin, your eyes, your feelings. Whether old or new, I hope you'll remember, even when you're feeling blue, that it's you I like, it's you yourself, it's you, it's you I like. It helps to be loved in order to work in this life. Please welcome Jeffrey Erlinger. It's an honor to be here tonight, to be part of your proud moment, this proud moment. You know, when, when you tell people that it's you I, it's you I like, you, we know that you really mean it. And tonight, I want to let you know that on behalf of millions of children and grown-ups, it is you that I like. You know, Ecclesia, I've preached this sermon six times now. I think I watched that clip about a dozen times before I shared it with you, and I've had a tear in my eye um, each time, in part because I can remember, um, I can remember being a kid and thinking, Jeff Erlinger has a really nice singing voice. Did anybody else notice that Jeff has? And I remember thinking, my friend Chip, who's in my class, who's in a wheelchair, like he probably has some really great talents that I don't know about. And I remember feeling curious and inquisitive. And I remember it offering a dignity to my friend and in the same way to me in that. Fred Rogers was a great reminder that every person is made in the image of God. And that if we pause to see it, it ought to be true at church, but it ought to be true everywhere that we go. Now, this is the story of Scripture from Genesis to the end. But I want to share with you one particular passage in 1 Samuel that reminds us. And this passage, what it tells us is that Samuel did as the Eternal One had told him. And he went to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came out to him, unsure of what business he had there. Remember, in these days, if a prophet came to town, he was often coming to town to tell you, you haven't been getting it right. Like, you're in trouble. So they were scared. It was like getting called to the principal's office, but in a much bigger way. So the elders came out and said, Samuel, do you come in peace? 
Samuel said, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the eternal one. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And it tells us that Samuel consecrated Jesse and his sons. You see, what they didn't know is that Samuel had been told by the eternal one to come and to choose one of Jesse's sons, that God would choose him, that he would be anointed as the next king. This was a big deal. So Jesse uh, consecrated and they made a sacrifice. And when they came, he noticed the eldest son, Eliab. It tells us Eliab was like, I mean, tall, handsome, strong, built like a tight end in the NFL. And he sees Eliab and Samuel says, surely this is the one the eternal one will anoint, right? This guy looks like a king. But it goes on and says, the eternal one says to Samuel, and I think he's saying to us as well, Take no notice of his looks or his height. It's not the way you do your hair. He's not the one. For the eternal one does not pay attention to what humans value. Humans only care about the external appearance, but the eternal considers the inner character. Ecclesia, I got to tell you, I hope you come to church from time to time because you won't hear this anywhere else. God doesn't see what other people see. God doesn't look at your hair. You think God cares about your fashion at all? Anybody here that thinks God's pretty impressed <laughs> with the way I dress, right? We obsess over the things that God said. I, I, those don't really matter to me. And the flip side, it's the painful side, is that in obsessing over the things that God doesn't notice, we've often failed to consider the things that God does notice. Jeff Erlinger's got a great singing voice. There are a lot of people that you work with and you see, and they've got gifts and talents that you don't know. I wanna be a part of a community that sees the value of every person and that we celebrate it well. I'm gonna to try to get to the third thing that I learned from Fred Rogers, or this sermon's gonna be way longer than it's supposed to be. I've got six. Here's the third, and this may be the hardest one for me today. Fred Rogers was really good at teaching kids that it was important to feel our feelings. Ecclesia, I want you to hear in this Advent season, all times, but especially in this season, it's really important to feel your feelings. What's gonna happen for many of us in this season is that something's going to happen and we won't even know what it is. We're gonna taste a cookie, we're gonna smell a candle, there's gonna be some unique moment, we're gonna see something or hear something or think we hear a familiar voice and all of a sudden feel a wave of sadness, grief or anger. And we don't even know where it's come from. But the reality is because this season is so imbued with history and with emotion that for many of us, the reality that we're going to celebrate this season without parents that we love, without siblings that we love, and for some in our community, even without children that we love, that that's a really hard thing. We're also going to be reminded of times of loss, of things that we had hoped for that didn't happen. We're, we're going to be reminded uh, that some, some for us, the secret was supposed to be, season was supposed to be so sacred and beautiful in a celebration, and maybe in our homes it didn't feel that way. 
and we're going to have some things to grieve. Fred said it this way. He says, there is no normal life that is free of pain. It's the very wrestling with our problems that can be the impetus for our growth. Hear that, it's really important. There's no should or should not when it comes to having feelings. They're part of who we are and their origins are beyond our control. When we believe, when we can believe that, we may find it easier to make constructive choices about what to do with those feelings. That we acknowledge, I'm, I'm feeling, if you just say it aloud, like, I don't know what it is. I tasted a cookie, I'm feeling really sad. Huh, what's that about? It helps to have somebody ask you questions sometimes. What about that cookie? And together, we struggle through those feelings and emotions to lead to a better place. Now, if you're like me, this may be challenging for you on a number of levels. I grew up in the kind of religious environment that said if you're really strong, if you're really spiritual, you stuff your feelings. Anybody else grow up in that kind of environment? Just stuff them down, stuff them down. And, uh, and then what happens? You just keep stuffing them down, right? And then what happens? Nine months, 12 months, 18 months later, it's like a soda can you've been shaking, right? And eventually it just, it explodes. And, and when it explodes, you don't make great decisions. Or Fred put it another way. He said, confronting our feelings and giving them appropriate expression always takes strength, not weakness. You're not weak to say, I tasted a cookie and I'm crying. That's not a weak thing. That's a strong thing. It takes strength to acknowledge our anger and sometimes more strength yet to curb the aggression urges anger may bring and to channel them in nonviolent outlets. Part of feeling your feelings is keeping you from making bad decisions with those feelings, right? The the non-Christian response is to say, what? I don't get mad, I get even, right? I just just retaliate, it's no big deal. Part of being a Christian says, no, retaliation is not mine, it belongs to God. I leave that to God, my job is to forgive. He says it takes strength to face our sadness and to grieve and to let our grief and our anger flow in tears when they need to. It takes strength to talk about our feelings and to reach out for help and comfort when we need it. Now, part of what I really despise about this season is that too often we all get so busy that we think I can't reach out to them. I mean, they've got three Christmas parties this weekend. I mean, I can't say anything. They're so busy. Everybody's so busy in this season. And yet it's a season that we need one another more than ever. I'll tell you, it's been challenging even today um, to practice this as I try to share with you. So um, we woke up today, um, well, actually the news came, I was watching a football game, which is not what I'm truly upset about, although I had some of that yesterday um, as well. I was watching a a football game before I went to sleep and it just had a a brief message that came across the screen that uh, an HPD officer had been killed in the line of duty. And I, and I quickly said, tomorrow, uh, we should pray for that family. I don't know who it is that didn't give a name. And I was awakened this morning to find out that it was an HPD officer who's a member of our community. Um, and so our beloved uh, friend and brother, Chris Brewster, um, was shot and killed um, when he was making, um, he was, um, tried to help someone in the domestic violence uh, incident. 
Uh, Chris is married to Bethany uh, Brewster. They, this is probably, I bet they've been married four or five years now. Um, Chris is the kind of uh, person every pastor likes. I can tell you uh, with great joy that Chris loved Jesus, that he loved Jesus. Um, I can tell you as a pastor, um, there were a number of occasions that Chris would say to me, like, hey, I'm, I'm not the officer that's hired in the room. We, uh, you'll notice we have officers here for our safety and for the safety of our children. Um, but he would sometimes some just tap his hip and remind me, like, hey, I'm, I'm also here to keep you safe, though, right? I always felt safer when Chris was in the room. Um, and, I'm, uh, and I'm deeply grieved uh, that his wife, that his sister, and that his parents are experiencing this loss. And I'm grateful for his, for his service. And I'm going to try to practice. Now the sermon's going to get long because I can't get through this part very fast. I'm going to try to practice what I'm asking you to practice, which is to feel that sadness as it comes. And, um, and for me, it's this reminder, like, this world's really broken. Like, this man is really kind. Um, this man is really generous. This man is a public servant. And it leads me to sadness, which maybe is God's timing that the next point is one that uh, I will need to embrace, and many others will as well, that Fred Rogers taught us a lot about forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of those things that it really, honestly, it's a miracle when it happens. Um, it's not a natural thing to do, to forgive. It, it really, truly is a, is a divine thing. Fred described it well. He described it this way. He said, forgiveness is a strange thing. You'll remember if you watched the show, Fred talked a lot about forgiveness to kids when they'd be angry with their parents, forgiving their parents, forgiving others. He says, forgiveness is a strange thing. It can sometimes be easier to forgive our enemies than our friends. It can be hardest of all to forgive people we love. Like all of life's important coping skills, the ability to forgive and the capacity to let go of resentments most likely take root very early in our lives. Forgiveness is learned and it's hard. But when we embrace forgiveness, life is so much better for us. I'll let Fred put it another way and then we'll let the Apostle Paul put it another way. It's about what in the end? It's about uh, being. Uh, it's about the things that matter to me. Yeah. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs, which I think are more important than any of the text, yeah. because it allows you to think about what's just been said. I had a professor one time, I think he's on page 20 or, right. or 22. Uh, his, his name was Dr. William Orr. Right. And he said, you know, Fred, there's one thing that evil cannot stand, and that is forgiveness. And you notice the rest of the page is blank. Yes. It needs a lot of time to think about that. We're putting the Apostle Paul's words as he writes in Colossians. He says this, he says, since you 
are set apart by God. And what he's saying here is, since you're ecclesia, since you're the church, to be ecclesia means to be called out to be the church. Since you're made holy and you're dearly loved, clothe yourselves with a holy way of life. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Isn't it interesting that those would all be probably the top five adjectives you might use to describe the life of someone like Fred Rogers? It's also interesting to note, um, since I'm already gonna go long, I'm just gonna slow my pace. And It's also interesting to note that there are very few quotes from Fred Rogers that say, hey, be kind, be patient. I believe what happened is Fred Rogers knew that people were made in the image of God, and because he knew that, it produced the fruit of kindness, patience, compassion. Paul goes on, and he says this. He says, back a little bit, yeah. Then he, this, is really, this could be the motto for your family time over Christmas, okay? He says, just, could you put up with one another? This, that's your memory verse assignment for Christmas, right? You got a card that just says, put up with one another. Your mom, your mother-in-law keeps asking, why do you have that card in front of you all the time? Put up with one another. Oh, the pastor asked me to memorize this verse. Put up with one another. Just supposed to quote it a thousand times a day while you're here. Um, right? Just put up with one another. And then he goes further. He said, as you put up with one another, could you forgive? Apologies to mother-in-laws in the room. And he says, could you pardon any offenses against one another? As the Lord has pardoned you, because you can act in kind. Paul just said, hey, remember, you're forgiven. I'm forgiven. I don't, I don't deserve that forgiveness. I didn't earn that forgiveness. You're forgiven. You, you didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. And you have the gift of being able to also offer it to people who didn't earn it and don't deserve it. Two more, and I'll try to get through these more quickly. One of the things I learned from Fred Rogers, and I think it's really important in all seasons, but especially in Advent, to know that real strength, the real kind of strength we're talking about, is vulnerable. Fred puts it this way. He says, most of us, I believe, admire strength. It's something we tend to respect and others desire for ourselves and wish for our children. Sometimes, though, I wonder if we confuse strength and other words like aggression and even violence. Real strength is neither male nor female, but is quite simply one of the finest characteristics that any human being can possess. Ecclesia, don't define your understanding of strength from like the Rambo films, okay? Christian strength, as we're offered in the Scripture, has a perfect example. It's Christ who endured violence and persecution and hatred and did it as the silent sufferer with tremendous strength and no retaliation. We're called to love with that kind of strength. And then lastly, and I'll give you a few practical ways that we can live this out. One of my favorite lessons from the life of Fred Rogers is the importance of sharing responsibility. In fact, Fred Rogers puts this this way. He says, sharing responsibility is heroic. 
This is what I want you to hear today. Um, none of you in the room, we, we're going to talk a lot about the water crisis. For me, it's still um, unfathomable that kids that are as beautiful as the kids in our room, that pregnant moms, like some of the pregnant moms walking around on our campus, are drinking water from rivers and streams. I'm, I, I visit those places. I see those places. It's still unfathomable to me. And the reality is that I could look at each of you and tell you really clearly, none of you caused the water crisis. There's not a person in this room that did something in particular that caused or created the water crisis. But we are a part of a bigger economy, a bigger system that allows for some of us to have a lot of extra and allows for others not to have access to clean water. We're a participant in that system. And so what we get to do, especially at Christmas, is say, we're gonna envision a world with a different economy, with an economy where though we have extra, we share from our extra to care for those in need. And I think that Ecclesia is a beautiful gift. I just got to come back and you're gonna hear more about it in the coming weeks from one of our most recent water wells in Argentina. It was the most massive success I've ever imagined. We, um, we're drilling a water well, and you'll be blown away by the story when you hear it. And in that sermon, I'm going to share with you a report of all the work our church has done with clean water over the history of our existence. And I got to tell you, it blew my mind to sit down and look at all of it at once. Um, one church. I, I can't even believe, and I think we can have more of an impact than ever this year. What happened is we got to drill this wa water well in a place called Impenetrable, uh, and it means what you think it means in Spanish. It's impenetrable. It is so hard to get to. And, uh, and this water well, uh, what we found has been the purest, cleanest water that we've ever been able to get to. And that the aquifer is so strong, what's happened is we're not able to actually close the tap because the water pressure is so strong, it will break the system. So what we're having to do is let the water flow constantly, which means it's filling up some aquifers and pools. We're literally now bringing in water trucks to haul off so much of the excess water. So it's going to serve about six more communities than just the community that we drilled it in. And they're going to be able to use that excess water for irrigation to grow crops that you never could have imagined being able to grow uh, in that area. It gets me so excited. What I want you to hear, Ecclesia, is you, you're not responsible, but what I believe Fred Rogers calls us to do is say, I'm not to blame, but I get to share in the solutions. Fred puts it this way. He says, we live in a world in which we need to share responsibility. It's easy to say it's not my child, not my community, not my world, not my problem. Then there are those who see the need and respond, and I consider those people my heroes. I don't know about you, Ecclesia, but I want to be Fred Rogers' hero. And I want our community to be heroic in the way that we say, hey, we didn't cause this problem, but all kids are our kids. And so if there's a kid drinking from a river or stream, we're going to do everything we can to make a difference. And we're going to follow the example of Jesus who says, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And he calls in a little girl from Zambia and says, this girl, she's the greatest in the kingdom. And we're thinking greater than this person and this, yeah, greater than them. She's the most important. So if she's the most important, what does it look like to provide the basics for her? I want to give you a few ways we can respond and tell you one more story. Um, the primary way we can respond, if you're new to Ecclesia, um, in 
in the season of Advent, in the month of December, we are all gathering our gifts. I've believed from the beginning that our, bit, our best gifts, monetarily, the one we pray over the most, the one that we are focused on ought to be to Jesus, and that the best way we can give a gift to Jesus is to provide clean water for those that desperately need it. And so our baskets are out at communion every time we take communion this month, and 100% of those offerings goes to bring clean water to people who need it. We will also have some special events, and I, we do these particularly not just so that you can give, so that you can invite friends. So if you love Jesus and you're willing to do hard things, you can come suffer to bring clean water uh, to the world with us on Friday. Downtown, we'll have an event called Turning Wine Into Water. And uh, literally, if I showed you, if you're a wine fan, um, you're, you're gonna see bottles that just will blow your mind. I love Jesus so much, I was willing to taste. Um, the different options for you. I can just tell you there's nickel and nickel. Uh, there's, there's just, oh, there's some fabulous wines. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna tell the story of the thirsty. And um, you have friends that maybe wouldn't come to church, um, but they would probably join you for a wine tasting. And we would love to meet them. Last year, we raised over $100,000 in this one night. Um, that provides a lot of water and we would love for you to participate. Um, in that. Those gifts are really important, and what we do is really important that season. Let me tell you one more story, and we'll take communion. Um, I th you, if you've been around in recent weeks, you know that the work that God's called us to do at the Colombia-Venezuela border has, is very near and dear to my heart it, for a number of reasons, and some I can't even explain to you. I can just tell you I've fallen in love uh, with Venezuelan people and with my commitment to say, I I can't allow them to suffer without being seen. Um, we can't solve the suffering. Like, I don't have a political solution to go in and, you know, I'd like to be a part of SEAL Team 6 or something. I'm not. There's not a... Um, but I do think that our presence and our love can make a real difference in what we get to do. And so one of the things that was um, spoken to me on our last trip just got under my skin. Um, one of the things I learned, I think I told you this a few weeks ago, is that in Venezuela, um, they celebrate uh, Christmas in the same way that many of us do in Houston. If you grew up in Houston or you're Mexican or you have Mexican friends or family, you know that at Christmas you do what? You eat tamales. That's what, it's like the taste of Christmas, and, uh, and one of these dear sisters, she just said, they call them uh, halakas uh, there. It's a little different version of the tamale, but she just said, essentially, you know, there, there will be no tamales in Venezuela this year for Christmas. <laughs> for me, it just felt like, oh, and the reality is, uh, this is not a luxury item, right? We're talking about people whose weight at a rate that's just unprecedented. They need protein. Um, so we came back and started thinking, and what I wanted to be able to tell you is that uh, we've got a few solutions we're working on that are pretty exciting. We had already built out a kitchen uh, at La Frontera Church, and we have now started to convert that kitchen so that after they serve lunch, uh, and they serve lunch every day, we were employing these wonderful Venezuelan uh, ladies to make lunch. Now we've got a second team that get jobs, which we think is awesome, and they're making halakas, these tamales, uh, for Venezuelans there in their little kitchen. These aren't great photos, but they'll give you a little sense. And, uh, and we're just gonna make as many tamales as we can make. So um, we've got a couple ways that we can do this. Obviously you can give and everything you give to Venezuela is gonna go to help feed and care for and love Venezuelans. Uh, but as you can see when you came in today, uh, we've got uh, some dear brothers and sisters 
at uh, Anojitos uh, uh, Tamales uh, that are going to be selling tamales at all of our services for the rest of the month. And uh, for every tamale you buy, uh, it gives a tamale to a Venezuelan. So uh, for me, this is my new mission. Um, this, I'm going to eat as many tamales as I can because it's the best way I can serve Jesus. So I don't, I'm just literally, I'm committed to this mission all in. You call me this month, you'd be like, what are you doing? I'm eating tamales again. What, what else do you need to know? What could be better? And it comes with its own fresh uh, homemade salsa. Uh, they're really great. Um, I would encourage you to say, if you're thinking about gifts for neighbors, for coworkers, if you own a company, uh, you can give them an order and they can bring them for you next week. Uh, they freeze and last well through the year. Um, I just don't know of anything better to do than to buy some tamales. And this is part of what, part of the reason I love it is not just you get to enjoy tamales. My hope is that as you eat those tamales, you're gonna be praying for our Venezuelan brothers and sisters. Um, and then can I tell you the fun part of what I get to do? So this is where my job can be hard and beautiful all at the same time. Uh, after I do wind to water um, on Friday night, I'm gonna get on a midnight flight and fly through the night uh, to Cucuta, Colombia. And on Sunday, uh, we'll worship with the local community there, and then we're gonna have a special evening uh, worship service where we've invited pastors from all across Venezuela to come. Uh, we're gonna worship with them, we're gonna pray for them, and then we're gonna load them up with coolers filled with tamales. Uh, to send back to their churches so that they can have a, a Christmas party with their church, right? And be able to serve tamales. So um, that's a pretty fun way to spend your day. Um, so if I don't see you next week, uh, it's because I'll be worshiping with Venezuelan pastors, which feels like a very Christian and Texan thing to do, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like Texans that would give tamales to people? Like it just feels like like, if you're a Christian Texan, you can't ignore that opportunity. Um, as we come to communion, I just want to remind you that it's a gift to be a part of a church. Um, there is no perfect church. There are no perfect people. There was one. His name was Jesus. And the reason that we gather is to worship him and to learn and to say, God, will you transform us to be more like him? My prayer for you in this season is that all of these truths would be incorporated in a way that allow you to meet Jesus in a meaningful way. So would you give me a moment to pray for you? And then we'll pray over our elements and we'll celebrate communion. God, I thank you for the love that I have for these people in this room. And I know that you love them even more. I know that you love our kids, all of our kids. And I pray today that they would feel loved as they're here I pray, God, that you would give us together a sense of calling to be present with one another. That like Fred Rogers, we'd have times of prayer and that we'd be open to hear if you say, you know what, you have a sister, you have a friend, you have a neighbor that you might want to reach out to today. And we may have no context, but we pray, God, that you would prompt us at the right time and place. God, we pray that you would slow us down that in being slowed down, we would see the value of every person. That maybe some of our friends and neighbors that may be too often ignored, like Jeff Erlinger, that we would see them, that we'd see their gifts, that we'd celebrate them. God, we pray you'd give us space to feel our feelings, our anger, our sadness, our grief. 
There is not one of us here that can stand and say, life has turned out just like I expected it to turn out. For each of us, there are places of pain, places of dissonance. God, we ask you to be with us as we feel those feelings. Lead us to a life of forgiveness, even to those that we know or believe do not deserve it. Help us to forgive them as well, to embrace real Christian strength, and to be a people that share responsibilities even for problems we did not cause. Lord, we know that there's no one in the room that's responsible for the crisis in Venezuela. And yet, Lord, we declare together that the children of Venezuela, los niños de Venezuela, they're our children. They belong to us. Lead us, God, to care for them well, to love them, to pray for them. And in doing so, Lord, bring us back to your table again, where you have declared to us through this bread, and we ask you to bless this bread today, that your love draws near, that when others run away, when others see danger and run away, you draw near. Lord, we're reminded of our brother Chris Brewster who was trying to protect those in our city and he was drawing near and in drawing near, he was hurt and he was lost. And so Lord, we pray for Bethany now. We pray for that family. We ask you to bring peace. Lord, we pray as well as we draw near in areas that the State Department and others would say, don't go there, don't be there. And yet we say, Lord, this feels like the place we ought to be. Guide us in those places. We thank you, Lord, that you left the safety of heaven to draw near to us, to teach us, to love us, and ultimately to sacrifice your life for us in love, to conquer sin and death. We thank you today for this cup, for this wine and juice that says to each and every one of us that though we are not perfect, we are forgiven. God, I thank you that I get to journey with a lot of imperfect people I know their flaws, they know my flaws, we know one another's flaws, and yet in all of that you move towards us in grace and forgiveness. And so God, may that forgiveness mark our lives and this unique and beautiful season. We pray all of this together, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ectasiahouston.org.